Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And as we're going through this series on assurances as we are starting off our community groups. Uh, I just want to say it's been a blessing for me to, to hear that and also to walk through it in our community groups. So uh, I'm just going to remind you that if you were not aware, we have started community groups in our church. And, um, and for me, I had the blessing of being in our second community group here with, with uh, my brother and sister here, Aaron and Mabel. And it's just been a blessing and a time of encouragement and some good food. <laughs> so uh, I, I really encourage you, if uh, you haven't considered a community group, would you consider and pray about joining one? I know there's many out there and would love to have you and welcome you into their group. So with that said, we are going through the assurances. And um, do bear with me a little bit. I'm a little jet lag, as Pastor Mike said. We just came back from Africa. We traveled for 30 hours uh, from plane to car. Um, but, you know, as, as I was preparing for this message and as I walked in here and just heard the worship of God, I was reminded of worshiping last Sunday in a little church in a village in Kenya where they had a tent for the church. And there was about 40 people in there. And the tent was dirty because the previous week there had been a storm and it fell in the mud and they did the best they could to clean it, but it was still muddy. And, and as you walk to this village, you see literally off the edge of the church, you see the public dump where the whole village dumps everything. And, but yet as you walk in this church, I'm reminded in the Old Testament when the Lord said that when the people worship with, his heart, with their heart, that the spirit of the Lord descended upon them. And then today we, we have that spirit dwelling in us. And we are the temple of God with Jesus Christ as our cornerstone. And so whether we worship in a little tent in the middle of a village where a dump is, or we worship in this beautiful sanctuary, the spirit of the Lord is here. And he gives us joy, peace, unity, and love. And allows us to come before the living God. So today we want to we wanna look at that and have that assurance that they had in Kenya. I was amazed at their assurance. Um, I was telling the story earlier that as uh, there was a pastor there who would come and, and teach them the whole Bible. And uh, through the middle of the week, uh, one of the pastors in Kenya came up to him and said, so brother, this has been great, but when are you getting to the good part? <laughs> and the pastor said, well, what do you mean? I've been going through, through the Bible. What do you mean the good part? He goes, you know, Revelation, the end. And then, <laughs> and then it dawned on him that for these people, the, the hope they had in being in the new heavens and the new earth because of the current circumstances they had, it was something they longed for every day. They were longing to be with the Lord because for them, life was, was hard. It was different than for us. And so I'm reminded of that assurance. And today we want to look at that assurance. So if you want to look uh, with me in your Bibles to the first letter of John, we're going to be in verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. So first John 5, we're going to start there. And as you're turning your Bibles there, um, can I, I want to show you a picture. So if I can, you guys can put the picture up. So let me ask you this, who here recognizes this painting? Besides Pastor Mike, is he? 
Well, this, this is a painting from Rembrandt. Uh, I cannot even pronounce his name, but Rembrandt, I think, is the best I can do. But this is a picture, it's a painting of the prodigal son. And what is unique about this painting and what Rembrandt did was the way he used the light. If you see this painting, the light was used by him to kind of convey a message. And if you notice, where does the light hit in this painting the most? It is in the face of the father. So the face of the father forgiving the prodigal son who is lighter in light but still shining because of his destitute and coming to be embraced by the father. But then you also see the face of the older brother looking down at him. And see, today we're going to see that our assurance comes in that and that God is light and that he has forgiven us and that he has embraced us and welcomed us in as children of God when we trust in his son, Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. And so as we read this passage, we're going to look at that. And then I want to show you some distortions that John was battling in uh, the church of Ephesus where he wrote this letter to and how we can distort our view of the gospel and Christianity and forget where our true assurance for forgiveness of sins is. And then I'll show you where it is, which is in Christ alone. So would you read with me here, starting verse 5. This is the word of the Lord, and it says this. This is the message we had heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father on our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you and we ask for your mercy today. We ask for your presence and we give you praise that you are the light of the world. And Lord, I pray that with that light that you would illuminate us today, that you would open our hearts and our eyes to behold your beauty and your glory as it is revealed to us through the scriptures. Lord, that we may see Christ and that your word would be spoken. If I speak anything that is not of you, I pray that you bring it to nothing and nothing fast. But whatever word is from you, Lord, that it will be planted in our hearts, that it will bear fruit for the days to come. For your glory alone, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so for the rest of our time, I want to do a couple of things. Number one is I want to give you a little context into the first letter of John. And then I want to show you... Uh, walk you through the text as to two ways we can distort the gospel and we can distort the way we live as Christians. And then finally, where do we find our true assurance in the midst of walking with the Lord? So starting with a little bit of context here to the first letter of John, uh, a couple of things that you need to know is 
John is writing to this church, uh, these home churches that have been planted and are kind of growing in uh, Ephesus. And there's been, there's been a lot of good fruit and they're growing, but most of them were Jewish. And then all of a sudden, these false teachers began to come out of those churches. And these false teachers were denying Christ. They were, they were saying there's another way for the forgiveness of sins. And so John writes this letter to combat that, but also to reaffirm some of the believers there and to help them to see who they should welcome as missionaries and who should it not. And he refers to where the assurance of salvation is and he shows them what, like the wrong views that we can take as to what does it mean to be a Christian and to live out the gospel in our lives. Another thing that John does in this letter is he, he's, 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 John is called the heavenly apostle, if, if you were to study him, because he gives you a view from heaven. The way he, the way he writes his letters, his gospel, he kind of gives you the spiritual side of things, that unseen realm. And also, he loves to write in a very poetic way. And he focuses on three main topics on these letters. He focuses on life, on truth, and on love. Which really, he ends up tying all together beautifully as he's asking his gospel to the one who is alive, the way which is love and truth, which is Jesus Christ. And then lastly, he has this, this, this contrast between darkness and light, which is a very familiar term and category for most of the people at his time. And we're going to unpack that. What does it mean that God is light in a little bit? And so those are the things that you need to know. And ultimately he says, you know, darkness is to love the world, but to know the love of God is light. And to live in the love of God is where we ultimately find our true victory in our life in Christ. And so that's kind of the context there. So now let's walk through this passage together. And I want to give you the first point out of the uh, first verse here. In verse 5 it says, This is a message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. This statement is going to set the stage for the rest of the letter. Why? Because he tells us something about who God is. That God is light. First in the positive and then in the negative. The positive is that God is light. Well, what does it mean that God is light? Three things I want to suggest to you from the scriptures. Number one, God is light means that he is holy. For them, in those terms, the, the word there for light focuses, is really conveys this meaning of holiness, of purity, but also of trustworthiness and truthfulness. God is not only holy, but he's also trustworthy and true in all the ways that he deals and reveals himself to us. And then lastly, what does light do? Light reveals, so God is self-revealing. He reveals himself to us. I remember when I was dating my wife, or I guess um, we went as brothers and sisters in the Lord to get coffee. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we were, the point of it was we were trying to get to know each other. But to get to know each other, what must take place? We must reveal who we are. We must open up and a little by little reveal who we are. Well, God does that in the Bible. He begins to reveal himself. And then he ultimately reveals his full expression in Jesus Christ to us. And he does it in a way that is truthful and trustworthy. There is no hiddenness. God has not hidden anything from us that we need or that we are lacking. Now, he does have progressive revelation, which means that he reveals things right at the moment that it is right for us. But he doesn't hide from us anything that we need. He comes as he is. 
and he's holy. There's no, for lack of a better word, shadiness in him. So a couple applications from that is, is if God is light, then we are to be imitators of that. The way we handle ourselves as Christians, we should be people who are trustworthy, who are truthful. We should be willing to reveal ourselves with wisdom. But relationships don't take place unless there's a self-revealing first. And if God was willing to reveal himself, we should be willing to reveal ourselves too so that we, can hind- so that we don't hinder relationships with one another. Community groups are great for that, so just shameful plug there. But, <laughs> but we should do that. The other part is, is that we want to be people of integrity. Uh, I remember uh, when I was pastoring my first church in Michigan, uh, I was young and, and experienced, and there was this conflict going on in the church, and I was dealing it on it by my own with the elders. And finally, a more experienced pastor said, well, you know, until things get flushed out and until things get confronted and brought out into the light, God will not work because God works in the light. He does not work in the darkness. And so one last application for us is this. Is is there something in your life that has been in the darkness that you need to bring out to the light so that the Lord can work? And it's hard. I know truth is hard. I know it's hard to be vulnerable and open up and share those. But healing and restoration doesn't take place until God gets involved. And God doesn't get involved until it's been brought out into the light. Because God is light and he operates in the light. So that's the first thing. That sets the stage. God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. There's no unrighteousness, no hiddenness. There's no evil in him. So then, if that's the stage, then we get into, then John tells us about the first way that we have distorted throughout history and even today. We distort the view of what the gospel is and what the Christian life should look like. Look with me in verse 6. It says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So the first, the first distortion of the gospel and what it looks like in our Christian life is what I would call the counterfeit Christian. The counterfeit Christian. It is, a, it is someone who looks like a Christian. It is someone who claims to be a Christian. It is someone who may even act like a Christian, but there hasn't been an inward spiritual change of nature that demonstrates true faith in Christ. And so I have a little illustration for you right now. And please don't laugh, but I brought you a beautiful purse. Okay. Uh, this is not my purse. This belongs to my wife. I, I know there's a man purse thing going on. I'm just not jumping on that boat. But, um, but if you see this purse... Um, I bought it when I was traveling, and I was quite proud of myself, and this is why, because I thought I had gotten a really good bargain. See, when I bought it, the lady convinced me that this was the, the highest end purse they had in, in there, and that, that I was getting a bargain as I was bargaining with my bargaining skills. So, you know, I thought, well, two versus one stone, I got a great bargain, and I get to bring a present to my wife and make her smile. Well, um, the bargain seemed too good to be true for me. So when I was in the airplane, uh, and then we landed, I decided to Google this purse. And it turns out that there's something very specific about it, is that they only make it in Paris. But, 
When I bought it, I bought it in Nairobi. (laughs) (laughs) If you look inside of it, on the outside it looks authentic, it looks like the original, but when you look inside, it says made in Kenya. And so, uh, my wife doesn't know, she's not in the service, but she'll find out. So the illustration there is that on the outside, on the, we, can, we can look and we can act and we can really present ourselves as a follower of Christ. But inwardly, that's between you and your heart and, and God. You may not know him. You may be only, as, as, have you ever heard that phrase, fake it until you make it? I remember my first job, I was coming out of engineering school and they threw me into this meeting and my supervisor said, I know you're new, but just act like you know what you're doing. (laughs) And so I said, okay, how do I do that? But then the word of God says the opposite. The word of God says, don't fake it until you make it. It says, depend on him until he accomplishes it for you. Right? In our moments of weakness, we are not to pretend we're something we're not or deceive ourselves or others. We should be people who in our weakness, his grace is made perfect. And his strength is shown through us. We cannot fake it until we make it in the Christian life. You either know the Lord or you know about the Lord. I love to play sports and so one analogy that always stuck with me is, are you a fan? I'm a fan of a a soccer player. His name is Messi and and I, I follow him and I think he's a great athlete. But I don't know him personally. I I never sat down and talked to him. We don't have a relationship. Some people may know the Lord like that. They're a fan. They cheer for him. They follow him. they, 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 They know about him. But do you know him personally? Does he speak to you when you pray? Does does his word open up and you see his glory? Is he part of your life? Is he, as Paul says, I consider everything rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. If you were to get to heaven and all you see is Jesus, is that enough for you? Or does it need to be Jesus plus something else? And so for us that are Christians, this is a reminder that we can forget our first love and we can continue to walk through the motions and Jesus takes the back seat until we get into that trial and then we're saying, Father, where are you? He was there all along. We just ignored him. So today we can come back and he's there with arms wide open as a prodigal son. Now if, you, if you're a fan of Jesus, today you can become a friend of Jesus. All you have to do is put your faith in his death, life, and resurrection and receive him and give your life to him. Surrender your life to him. And you will no longer be a counterfeit Christian. Your sins will be forgiven. You would have assurance, as it says here in the text, it says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness. If, if, if our life doesn't match our talk, then maybe it's a sign that we need to examine ourselves. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. This is interesting. It doesn't say we have fellowship with God. It says we have fellowship with one another. Look, I played soccer for many years with guys for all through high school and college, 10 years. I mean, we would share socks, dirty socks. We were so close, you know? Uh, I'll spare you some other weird things. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I thought these guys were my brothers. I, I, mean, I, would, I would, you know, I would, I would go to bat for them any day. But when I came to the Lord and I met people who were indwelled by the Holy Spirit, within weeks, I had a more intimate relationship with those brothers 
than I did with the guys that I've been with 10 years. And you know why? Because the Holy Spirit, there's a divine, intimate relationship that happens spiritually bonded in Christ. And so another sign of not being a counterfeit Christian is that when you come to church, you love the people of God. And you sense the Spirit of God. And this is your family spiritually. One day we're going to be in the new heavens and the new earth. And every tongue, tribe, and nation will dwell together praising the living God. We can start living that out today in Jesus Christ. So I want to leave you with this little story. I, I found it funny. It's, um, it's about a chicken place in California. And uh, it's a story about this man who took his wife, or, well, he took his date to this chicken place, and they were going to have a date night. And they got some chicken dinners and drove out to the beach. And when they got to the beach, they opened up the bag, and guess what? There was no chicken in there. Instead, there was over $800 in a tally of the day earnings. So he realized right away, okay, this is, this is the wrong bag. They gave me the wrong bag. They gave me the earnings for the day. So he put it all back. They drove all the way back to the chicken place. He went in, turned in the bag to the manager, and the manager was astonished. He said, what kind of man are you? He says, wait, I want to do something. Thank you so much. I want to call the newspaper right now. I want to put your story and your picture in the newspaper as the most honest man I've ever met in my life. Then the man got scared, and he said, just a second. He pulled him aside and he said, I cannot do that. He said, why? Because that woman I'm with is not my wife. <laughs> and so, I know, that's a punchline, right? So, sometimes, as funny as that is, sometimes that can be the truth of some of us when it comes to walking with the Lord. We can do a lot of great out here, but back here we have some hidden stuff that we need to bring to the light so that the Lord can work, redeem, and restore and bring glory to his name. Amen? So that's the first distortion, and of course that has false assurance because a dear friend of mine who passed away used to say, you cannot fake it till you make it into the big barbecue. You can only make it there. The only thing that stands before between your unrighteousness, your sin, and his holiness is Jesus Christ. He's the only assurance of salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. As far as it is from the east unto the west, that's how far his arms stretch and were nailed for you on the cross. So that he may take the wrath of God and offer forgiveness of sins. Nothing else. This is why the reformer was willing to die, Luther, for that one word. Christ alone, nothing else. So that's the first distortion, the counterfeit Christianity. So I pray if you hear this, that the Lord will help you and guide you as, as we seek to follow him and, and walk with him faithfully. The next one is, as we walk down through the passage, we go to verse 8, and it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. The second distortion of the gospel, of the Christian life, is what I would call here from this verses from John, the self-righteous Christian. This is a self-righteous Christian. This is a Christian who, and theologians debate a lot about this verse. Pastor Mike probably has the right answer. But 
what does it mean that we claim we have no sin? Are they talking about moral perfection? Or are they talking more about if you just kind of live a good life and don't do the big sins, then maybe then, then you're good. God is, God is going to accept you the way you are. Isn't that our society today? It's, hey, I never killed anybody. I've never stolen. I've, I've never, you know, I've only been divorced once, and it was her fault. Uh, you know, kind of things like that. But overall, I'm a pretty good person. But the reality is that that denies what the Bible says is the doctrine of total depravity. That sin has depraved every aspect of our being. From our thinking, through our acting, through our emotions, through our sexuality, through everything. That's why when they ask Jesus, you know, are you a good teacher? He says, why do you call me good? No one is good. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And so what happens is that, that, that this can lead into an attitude of pridefulness. And that we can be, become to get puffed up and begin to look down on others. And the humility of Christ is not displayed. Instead, it says that we make him out to be a liar. We actually put his name and defile his name in ways. Or the other one says the people who, who reject Christ, they have a form of godliness, but deny his power. You know, before I came to Christ, I, I was in a dark place in my life, and so I was looking for answers. And so I began to read the dharmas of the Buddha. And I thought, wow, Gandhi and, and others, they seem to live such a good life. And so I began to read, and, and everything was about earning, earning your goodness. And I had to release myself of all the desires. That was the, the point of suffering. And, and I just couldn't. And I remember reading the story of, a, of one of the top monks who was a woman in Tibet. And... They went and interviewed her, and they found out that she had a family. And she had been living in that temple for 10 years. But she had three sons. And they asked her, why are you here and not with your family? And she said, I needed to get rid of my sons so I can get rid of my suffering because I loved them so much and I wanted them so much. That's what I understood. There's nothing that I can do to be morally good. There's nothing that I can do to show that I am a good, righteous person there's only one who is righteous, and that is Jesus Christ. And so I want to give you an illustration. I like illustrations. But um, I'm moving, so this is the fanciest glass I could muster it up from my house <laughs> without having to go through the boxes. But uh, sometimes we can, we can live a life like this. We want to be shiny. We, we polish the outside. We work a lot on the outside. We... We, we do a lot of good things. We say the right things. We are disciplined in many areas. And we deal a lot with the outside of our vessel. But then what happens is that we neglect to understand that inside we are full of sin. And so it begins, it begins to just grow and grow. And it might be that outwardly we look like joyous persons, but inwardly we're bitter. And it might be because of our own sin or the sin of somebody else or just the sin in the world and the brokenness in the world. Or maybe it's envy or pride, you name it, lust. And, and we begin to think and deceive ourselves that if we clean the outside, that we can clean the inside too. But the Bible is clear. We cannot fix our spiritual nature. Only God can come 
and cleanse us and purifies us from all sin. This is why the word here in the Greek is kateros, to purify. Uh, it comes from the word katerizo, and it's, this is just a little technical, but it's important. It's in the precedent indicative passive term. What that means is that there's something that you don't do, it's something God does, and he wants to do it continually on your life. And so if we think that we can be good on our own, then we are distorting the gospel. And we're only polishing the outside while the inside gets rotten and rotten and rotten. So that's the other distortion, the self-righteous Christianity. The one that diminishes sin and our depravity. But then here's the third, here's the last, the third and last point that John gives us. And here's where we find the true view of the gospel and how it plays out in our life. Starting here in verse 1 in chapter 2, it says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That is the true view of the gospel. And the way it plays out in our life is this, is that we are going to sin. We have a, when we become a Christian, when we put our faith in Christ, we enter into a battle, and it's in several fronts. First is with our own flesh and our own sinful desires. Secondly is with the powers and principalities. And third is with the brokenness of this world. And once we start that battle, it's never ending until the day where the Lord will take us to glory and make us clean. But the way we fight that battle is not on our own power. We fight it on the power of the Holy Spirit as we depend and trust in Christ. Or as I used to tell my friends and, and church in Flint, is, is the Rocky mentality, <laughs> it's the Rocky sanctification. You know the boxing movie Rocky? When his son comes, I think it's in movie number three, or I don't know, there's like seven movies. But he comes and he says, Dad, I'm just struggling with life and I'm getting you know, hit everywhere. And Rocky says, son, it's not about how many hits you can take, but it's about every time you get knocked down that you get back up. That is the life in Christ. We get knocked down, but we come to the Lord and he brings us back up. And next time we may, it may take a little bit more to get knocked down as we grow in Christ, but it's always him, the one that picks us back up. And we always do this in light of what has been done at the cross where he claimed the victory of the overall battle. And so though we may lose today, the victory is won for us and secured in Christ. And that's where we can wake up tomorrow and his mercies are new every morning. And as I used to say, chest up, you just work it out. That's the why we do the Christian life. And so then where is our assurance? In the first view, the assurance was kind of an illusion, a delusion, fake it until you make it. On the second distortion, John tells us that people seek their assurance in how good they can be. But in the one that is true and biblical, our assurance is in a person. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. It's the Christ-centered Christianity. It says, look at the qualifiers of Jesus. The first one, it says, he is our advocate, or he speaks in our defense. Some of your translations may say, he is our advocate. Every time me or you sin, and the enemy tries to condemn us before God, the Father, guess who stands in the way? It says, Father, 
Remember my scars and what I did for them. Remember me. And then it says that he is our righteousness. If Jesus was to die and forgive us of our sins, that's still not enough for us to come before a holy God. We still need to be made righteous. And to be made righteous, we need to have the imputed righteousness of the one who is righteous given unto us. That's why Paul says that he, became, he who was no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin upon himself and he imputed unto us his righteousness so that we can stand behind, before a holy God and be brought into his family. So not only is he the one who advocates for us, he is our righteousness, but then he says he is our atoning sacrifice. You know, uh, to fall into the hands of a holy God is a scary thing. Scarier than anything. Because his wrath is scary. In a good way. But we didn't have to suffer that because Christ went and he took that wrath on that cross for us. That's why this is what we call the hypostatic union. He was fully man and fully God. Fully man, he represented us fully at the cross. But fully God, he was able to take the wrath of God upon himself as well so that we may have forgiveness when we trust in him. There's, there's a story of a, of a bridge operator in England where every time uh, the train was coming full of people, it was his duty to go turn the gears on and bring the bridge down so that people could cross over the river. Well, one day he took his son to work. And as he was preparing for his daily routine, the train was coming 15 minutes away. And when he went to turn on the gears, something happened that they wouldn't turn. They were stuck. So he went down there, took his son with him, and they began to tinder with the gearbox. And he, he saw the problem, but he couldn't reach. It was, his arm was too big. But his son could. So his son went in there got into the gearbox and began to maneuver the issue. Well, he finally got it unstuck, but he didn't have enough time to come out as the train was already there. So the father looked at his son and he said, son, if I close these gears and I push the gears, it will crush you, but it will allow the people to go through. And the son said, let's do it, father. Let's save the people. And so the father, with tears in his eyes, he closed the gearbox and he pushed the button. As his son was being crushed inside that box, that train went by full of people and they all made it safe. And as the father was there crying for his son being crushed so that the people would be saved, he saw through the window people. Some thanked him, genuinely thanked him and said, thank you, sir. Others mocked him. Some ignored him. And see, that is a picture of what God has done for us. It says in the Bible that it pleased him to crush his son. Not the act of crushing him, but the act of, through his crushing, saving us. And are you the one who, through the window, saw him and said, Thank you, Lord, for what I have and lives in dependence of him. Or are you one who has mocked him or ignored him? The question for us is always that. And so with that... I want to leave you with the final story of a preacher who, who had lived a life of immorality and sin all his life. And when he was mid-20s, the Lord saved him, restored him, redeemed him, 
and then called him into ministry, became a pastor, pastor at church, and 10 years later, somebody asked him to come back and preach in his old town. And when he got there, the first thing he got in the mail was a letter. It was a letter from a former friend of his old life. And in the letter it said, I heard that you're here and that you're going to be a preacher man and that you're going to preach at this church. Well, I just want you to know that I'm going to be there tomorrow if you preach. And I'm going to stand up and I'm going to tell everybody all the hideous things that you have done that I know of. And he named them on the letter. So think about it, he said. Well, the man prayed, took the letter. The next day he went. And before he started his sermon, he opened up the letter. He read the letter. And he read everything he had done that was written in that letter. And at the end he said, I've done this many hideous things and many more. But praise be to Jesus Christ, my Redeemer and Savior, who has made me a new creation. That is my story. That is the story of many of us here. And so we thank God for his redemption in Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful for your goodness. We thank you that you, in your character, and your nature, you are light. And that you have come and broken into the darkness that we were in, and you have offered us this light in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we will be people that love you, depend on you, that come to you daily, and that when we fail, as the psalmist says, though my foot slip, his love sustained me. Lord, I pray for each and every family here and every person here, that you would give them the power, the strength, the ability to love you more and to walk with you more every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.